This is the Daily Signal podcast for Tuesday, November 1st. I'm Virginia Allen. Strictly speaking, race does not exist. That's what author Faye Ben Cosme argues in her new book, You Are Not Your Race, Embracing Our Shared Humanity in a Chaotic Age. Ben Cosme joins me on the show today to discuss America's obsession with race, how it all started, and its implications on our society. Stay tuned for our conversation after this. The Heritage Foundation takes the field on offense with their Young Leaders Program. I'm Evelyn Homily from Hillsdale College. I'm Harrison Stewart from the University of Virginia. I'm a journalism intern with The Daily Signal. I'm a digital productions intern in communications. For spring, summer, and fall semesters, the Heritage Foundation hosts undergraduate and postgraduate interns right here in the nation's capital to train our country's future conservative leaders. As a Daily Signal intern, I've had the opportunity to cover exciting events here in D.C. and work in a fast-paced environment with some of the conservative movement's best journalists. In YLP, interns are on the cutting edge of the conservative movement, attending exclusive briefings from heritage experts, members of Congress, and movement leaders fighting for the fate of our country. It's been exciting connecting with big names in the political world and better understanding our nation's greatest threats. If you want to go on offense with other passionate, dedicated conservatives, go to heritage.org slash intern to learn more about the Young Leaders Program. Faye Ben Cosme is the author of the new book, You Are Not Your Race, Embracing Our Shared Humanity in a Chaotic Age. And she joins us now. Faye, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Virginia. Well, you know, Faye, maybe in our society, it, it's a comfort thing. I think it's maybe in part part of our culture, but we love putting people in categories in today's society. And, you know, this is certainly true when it comes to the topic of race. But you are pushing back on this narrative in your book, You Are Not Your Race. Let's begin with your own story. How how did your background play a role in in you being compelled to write a book about race? Uh, it, it just has a lot to do with me growing up between three cultures, really. Um, my father's culture, he was from the Dominican Republic. Uh, my mother, she was from the U.S. Virgin Islands. And then uh, just being born in, in New York City and and traversing those three geographical areas, so to speak, uh, and, and just seeing... Um, the differences in in people, but still the similarities in in people in all of these three places, mm-hmm. and and you know um, I I don't necessarily think of myself as biracial because I uh, a lot of people want to to put people like myself in that box because you know my father is this Dominican or Spanish speaking. Um, person of, of European descent and then my mother being of African descent, you know, there's this this desire to put me in this biracial box, but I don't I don't necessarily um see myself that way. So um yes, just just being this this person of these two two diverse cultures and and just just recognizing that uh, despite those differences you know, we, I, I am just this one person is, is yeah. really what's behind this book. Yes. What was the message that you received as a little girl growing up in different cultures and having those kind of split backgrounds um, and your parents being from different places? Uh, what, what did you learn from your community, from the people around you 
about who you were, your identity, and and the the topic of race? Was it talked about? It wasn't. And, you know, it's interesting because as a little girl, the differences weren't pointed out. The differences, uh, no one made a big deal about them. And, and I think it's really because no one really thought about them. I don't know. That may si- seem naive to a lot of people, but uh, that is just the way it is. It was it the, the way it was. It was not pointed out. And really, it wasn't. it wasn't until I came into being an adult, um, that there seemed to be, um, you know, this preoccupation with, well, you know, why do you look the way you do? Where are you from? Who are you? What, what, what's going on here? We need to know. Um, and in my head, uh, we need to know because we need to know how we should interact with you depending on where you're from. Hmm. That's so fascinating. People want people want to know. They they kind of demand that answer, right? Yes, yes, and I think it is something that is um, I don't know that it's that's been instilled in us. Really, when you think of it as children, you know, we just play with each other. We we're not paying attention to you know where what this other person looks like or what they sound like. We just we just know that this is another person. It's a playmate, and you know, let's all have fun and and be together and 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 play. And it and it's really only until someone starts pointing out those differences to us that we start taking notice, and mm. that's when the trouble starts. And that's what we see you know, happening in our education system right now, beginning from a very, very young age, which is why, uh, one of the reasons why I decided to just, you know, delve into this topic and write this book. It's it's because I see what's purposefully being foisted onto our children. And it's, it's very, very scary. I was fascinated by the fact that you draw a very clear distinction in the book between race, ethnicity and nationality. Can you explain the differences between those three? Well, I should say that, you know, when I started out writing this book, one of the things that I wanted to do was bring a message of truth to the reader um, who may not necessarily be aware of truth. And when I say truth, I mean truth in the the, the biblical sense, the Christ sense. But I, I also knew that doing so, people oftentimes, you know, they're turned off to, to um, anything that, you know, delves too far into biblical sounding things. And, 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 and the message is just shut off to them. So I, I try to, to do something that would, I, I guess maybe it's a little devious, um, <laughs> not necessarily, not necessarily, um, you know, be uh, use Bible discourse, but, you know, sort of slip it in there. But anyway, maybe I digress a little bit too much. But uh, race, when we were created, if anyone turns to, um, you know, the, the, book of Genesis, it says right there that we were created as one human race. Uh, And it is from that race that we have man and woman, um, or male and female. And, uh, and the, the, the differences, these are the ethnicities, the, the nations that were, were created um, further along in our creation story, 
uh, where, where um, you know, quite frankly, we got a little too big for our britches and we, we tried to um, equate ourselves with our, our creator. And, and uh, that's where we saw the, the creation of, of nations and, and ethnicities. And this is, is where we are different in, in the languages that we speak and the customs that we hold and the traditions that, that we may uh, share among those different groups. Um, but race as, as this thing that is black or white, uh, there is no, no, no such thing. I, I hope I answered your question without, um, delving and getting too, too uh, <laughs> no, I, chaotic I know, there. <laughs> absolutely. I know that that's a big, that's a big conversation and a big topic, but something that you just said, you repeat in the book, and this might be one of the most controversial statements in the book, but it's honestly what the whole book hinges on. And you say our our national obsession with race is essentially damaging when you consider that, strictly speaking, race does not exist. That is a bold claim to make in this day and age. What do you mean that race doesn't exist? It doesn't exist in the sense that we think it does, that we believe it does, that we have been um, led to believe that it does. There is no uh, classification. There, there is no race gene. There's no, oh boy, and I know that I'm, I, I'm going to offend a lot of people. I, I, I'm sorry. There, there's no black race. There's no white race. There's no yellow or red race. These are, are um, ideas that were literally created by, you know, some taxonomist <laughs> a very long time ago. It was a, a convenient way for, um, I guess, divvying up people and, and understanding people. But uh, in, 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 uh, in, in the, the, the sense that we, we think of, of race, no, it does not exist. There is only the human race. Mm-hmm. Period, end of sentence. Yeah, full stop. Well, chapter yes. three of, of the book is titled, uh, What Are We Teaching Our Children About Race? And, you know, we know that there are books like uh, Anti-Racist Baby by Ibram X. Kendi and A is for Activist by Nagara. And these are books that are, are in kids' libraries across America. What effect do books like these uh, in talking to kids about race, what effect does that have on kids? Uh, I would imagine um, that the the effect it will have on, on children is really setting a, a worldview that will force them to look at people around them in terms of these these uh, identities, these these definitions that were again, you know, created uh, by people really for nefarious purposes. When we, if we're really to be honest, um, and then it impacts the way that they themselves will interact with the world, um, and and oftentimes in very limiting ways. Um, if I think of myself, if I, if I had been told at a very young age that because I was this, then I could only do this or be this, then I would not have done a number of things that I would have done. I would have not taken the risks or I would have not ventured out into the world the way that I did. My my parents were 
um, Caribbean immigrants, so to speak. Um, my mother, yes, she was from the U.S. Virgin Islands, but still coming from, you know, these small islands to mainland United States, she's still kind of, of an immigrant. And so were, so was my father. Um, and they were, they were laborers. They were eighth grade educated laborers. And really, I could have limited myself to uh, being, I guess, being uh, nothing more than, uh, I don't know, another laborer because of whatever it is that someone said to me that I was supposed to be because of that. But no, I, I went out, I ventured into the world. I I did not allow myself to to be uh, limited to to uh, my my community. I I went on to 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 pursue a uh, an education, the the first in my family uh, to go on and and achieve a a, a college education, and then a, a graduate degree. I pursued a doctoral education. I didn't complete for uh, reasons you know the the reader can find out in the book, but. Um, these are all, I, I don't know, I think these are all things that I just would not have done if I had bought into a very self-limiting view of myself. And, okay. and nor did I think that anyone, um, nor did I think that I was entitled to be given these things because of um, the way I uh, presented physically to the world. Mm -hmm. Well, and when you say that you didn't limit yourself and when you went out into the world, you you literally went out into the world. You talk about in the book how you spent time actually in the Middle East and that how that actually played a huge role in shaping and forming your perspective on people and, and the issue of race and ethnicity. Share a little bit about how that time living in the Middle East helped to form your own views and perspectives on this topic. You know, it's fascinating when uh, the media has such a, an influence on us and, and when the media tells us uh, something is, we tend to accept that. And this is especially the case when it comes to people and creating uh, stereotypes and, and uh, ideas about who people are because of where they come from. So, you know, we have this image that the Middle East, for example, everybody looks the same way everybody thinks the same way, everybody even um, dresses the same way. And, and by that, I mean, you know, all women are, are dressed in, in um, um, abaya. This is the black cloak, uh, or in some cases, in some countries, it's a blue cloak. Um, and, and that all women, you know, cover their, their hair in, in hijab. Uh, a lot of women do, and they do it for um, personal reasons, um, for reasons of modesty and for, for, for religious reasons as well. And, and with very few exceptions, um, there are some com countries that, yes, compel women to do so, but not, not all of um, Muslim or Arabic-speaking countries do. But, you know, I was uh, just fascinated traveling through that region to come across people in all tones of of uh, skin colors and eye colors and and hair textures it it was it was uh 
it was amazing. It was uh, almost earth shattering, um, earth moving, uh, because, you know, it was just not what what I had seen on TV and in movies. I mean, there was there was uh, uh, freckled faced people and and red haired people uh, and and blonde people and blue eyed people and and, and dark-skinned people and, and uh, coarse-haired people. It, it was just a, a potpourri of, 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 um, of every skin, eye, uh, hair color that you could imagine. Mm-hmm. I love that. I'm certainly a, a huge proponent of travel. I think that it does. It does do such uh, wonders, something that nothing else can do just to opening our eyes, our perspective, to the broader world, and it breaks so many of those stereotypes, like you mentioned. Um, I, I want to take a minute and talk a little bit about history, because you do a great job of addressing this in the book. And you you write in Chapter 5, I think it's, it's quite the profound statement. You write, what we choose to remember as history does not change the past, but where we choose to focus our gaze does change the present and future. So... What what do we do with our history, with the parts that aren't beautiful and that maybe even feel a little shameful? Well, um, quite honestly, we we have to embrace it. It is a part of of who we are, and we we recognize that. Okay, yes, this this uh, not so beautiful part of 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 our history is it's not something that we can can bury it is what it is but we we must embrace it we must learn from it but more importantly we cannot let it bury into our souls and become this this source of of anger this source of animosity uh otherwise i mean what is it going to do to our souls it's going to to uh just, just really hinder our souls, to, to corrupt our souls, and it's going to color the way we we interact with others, and ultimately um, be of detriment to ourselves, not mm. to the other people, but to ourselves. Hmm. Hmm. When you are writing the book and doing research for it, and remembering your own story. Was there a section that that you found maybe challenged your own views and perspectives or was just challenging to write? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) You know, I have friends from all walks of life and 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 I don't mean that just um, socially, economically, but, you know, just just from all kinds of communities. And I know that there are and this this would this is uh, African American identifying communities and and white identifying communities and and I I don't like to use those terms which is why I'm hyphenating with the you know identifying I know that people mm-hmm. the people want to put themselves um, um, or define themselves by certain categories and 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 that is their right to do so um, I wish we wouldn't do that but but that is what people want to do and they have every right to do so. And I, and I know that um, some people, my friends included, 
are going to be offended by this and and have been i've already i've already received feedback from some friends who who say that you know you're a little condescending in in that one little passage where you you write about um uh, my i i have a couple of girlfriends who were coming over to the house one night and you know they encountered uh some people in the street who who uh, looked different than they did, and and they just, I thought that they, uh, with without anybody saying anything to one another, there was this assumption that, uh, you know, these people are thinking this about me, and they're thinking I don't belong here simply mm. on the basis of, of how I look. And, and it led to this conversation and a, and a little, a little, um, a little fricture of, 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 you know, well, why would you think so? No one said anything. Um, mm. This is, this is all projection. So, so yes, uh, I've already, uh, I was very concerned about my friends reading that and taking it the wrong way um, and not not seeing the help that I'm trying to offer, the, the healing that I'm trying to offer. Yeah. Yeah. For those who do choose to read the book, You Are Not Your Race, what is your hope for what they will walk away with? I hope that they will walk away with the understanding of the truth of who we are. We are one human race. We are created in the image of our creator. It says so right there in the beginning of our creation story. We are created in his image. One humankind. We are, we are one human race. And from that there was male and female. And then it goes from there. It does not say anything about, you know, all these other color groups. It, it, it does not. And, and uh, this is a truth that's being kept away from people. Yeah. The book is You Are Not Your Race, Embracing Our Shared Humanity in a Chaotic Age by Faye Ben Cosme. It's out on November 1st. Uh, order your copy at Barnes and Noble. Um, and Faye, thank you. We just really appreciate you coming on the show today to share about your work and your passion on this issue. Thank you so much, Virginia, for giving me the opportunity to share this. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening to the Daily Signal podcast. If you haven't had the chance already, be sure to check out our evening show right here in your podcast feed where we bring you the top news of the day. Also, make sure that you subscribe to the Daily Signal podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps us reach even more listeners when you leave us a five-star rating and review. We love hearing your feedback. Thank you all again for listening. Have a great day. We'll be right back here with you at 5 p.m. for our top news edition. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. Executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen, Samantha Asheris, and Jillian Richards. Sound design by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. To learn more, please visit DailySignal.com.